Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. After party yours, it's Anna David here. And what do I want to tell you? Wow. Okay. So the guy, the guest that you're about to hear, he he just left my office. And so I'm kind of, I'm just really, it, look, if I've said this before, I was lying before. This is the best episode um, ever. Um, and it has to do a little bit with the fact that I was so so freaking excited to interview this guy. And um, if you know him, and maybe you clicked on this because you know him and you have no idea who I am. Oh, my name is Anna David. Um, If that's the case, you get it and you don't need me to explain this. But in case you don't, um, Eddie Pepitone, he's kind of known almost as being this extremely talented guy that, that people don't really know, which is kind of ironic because this movie was made about it, this documentary called The Bitter Buddha, which, uh, go see it. I, I saw it on Netflix. Um, and so if you're making, if someone's making a movie about how you're known as being the guy that's not really known, that's kind of meta because they're into movies. So people are seeing the movie. So therefore the thesis you're presenting is not actually true anymore. Anyway, he is a guy that actually is how I found out about him. And then I, um, and then I, you know, just started listening to everything I could find. Um, and I was so excited when he agreed to come on this podcast. And there's something about him, you know, he is sort of presented. Obviously, the movie's called The Bitter Buddha. So he is presented as this embittered guy. And his, a lot of his act is screaming on a stage. And and yet, the more I listened to him, the more I thought, he's, he's not angry. He's delightful and delighted all the time. I would hear him on these podcasts... And he just, he loves cracking up. He loves cracking other people up. And he has this like childlike exuberance for um, life, for the, the absurdities of life. And so I started to think, God, I don't think he's bitter. I think he's just telling the truth. I think aware and awake people are angry. And that, um, and that I find him a lot less angry than people who don't scream on stage and are, in fact, um, you know, incredibly rageful and suppressing it. Um, and so there's something. So his personality sort of acted as this, like, truth serum, I think, for me. Because I think for me, I think... Uh, I struggle a little bit with how how much do I let people in on um, what my actual struggles are. You know, I, I, I feel a sense of responsibility to go, uh, you know, look, uh, sobriety works and, and, and look, I'm so happy. But the truth is, um, you know, it, it's very complicated. And especially lately, I would say, um, you know, the waves get really big and really daunting and, and my awareness, you know, they call it peeling the onion, whatever. Um, 
you know, I can be really, really dark. And um, I, I have I've put things out there before and had people kind of respond and go, what? Uh, I, this is so, this makes me so sad. I wouldn't think that this would be your experience. And, and, and I, and I, um, I don't know. I think that, that I'm so obsessed with what people think of me that I, that unconsciously I cater what I reveal. You know, it's like, I want you to know that I was really dark before I got sober, but maybe I don't want you to know that now. Like you care, by the way. And so, and so, but there was something about talking to Eddie because he's so unbridled, just sort of accepts that about himself and is not trying to shield that. It kind of got me to be way more open about that. I know, obviously, this is a podcast where I'm interviewing the guests, so it's really, uh, who cares what I, you know, but, but, um, but, you know, I think, I think that it's okay. You know, it's okay that I'm, that I'm dark and, um, sometimes, and I, and I think whatever it's you know, with darkness comes the light. You can't know the light unless you know the dark. Am I right? Um, and, and, and I think that a lot of people just pretend this isn't true. And, and honestly, you know, I have this friend and we, we would talk, we used to talk all the time about those people that seem, um, to not struggle and sort of to be in blissful ignorance and, and envy them and just go, okay, maybe we're deeper thinkers, but I would trade this deep thinking in a millisecond for just that dumb exuberance. But, you know, I guess we don't really get a choice. Obviously that's very judgmental. Um, but so anyway, uh, my point is that I didn't ask this guest any of the things I planned to ask him. Um, I treated it really more like a therapy session, I, I think, than a um, interview I was conducting. Um, but it was so fun. And sometimes I notice when I'm having fun doing it, that means it's good. Not always, not always. I think that's true of writing though too. Um, you know, when it's a real struggle, it often reads like it was a real struggle. But I mean, obviously writing is always the struggle in some way. God, maybe I'm just dark today. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I do know that um, if you are not delighted by this interview, then... I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Do we do we really have something you you and me? If you're not delighted, I don't know. I, I mean, it, maybe, but but I'm not entirely sure. So uh, you can, by the way, Liz, this guy has his own podcast, and it's obviously completely hilarious and and awesome. And it's called Pep Talks, and it's on the All Things Comedy Network. Um, he's been a guest on like maybe three to four thousand other podcasts. And um, so you can hear him and you can also watch The Bitter Buddha. And uh, he's also on Twitter at Eddie Pepitone. And Pepitone is P-E-P-I-T-O-N-E. Right? You get why pep talks. You get it. Okay. I know you don't need me to explain these things. But anyway, I, I tried to put extra P's in his name at some point. And no, no. There's just the, the two that I mentioned. So anyway, I hope you guys love this. Um, I know I did. And here we go. I first started taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash. Oh my god, I think my copy has like blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it. Party animal, I hate to say that because that makes me sound Paris Hilton. I was on the, as right. I call it, the Autobahn to nowhere. I'm very lucky because would you have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad? Is still there. 
<laughs> I okay. I feel like I should go with you afterwards to make sure. Because you can if you want. I but have. Yeah, I have this over. It's me. It's like I just make that decision sometimes yeah, yeah. where I go. I don't want to drive around in this neighborhood <laughs> much it. longer, and I'm willing to get the car. How if I often to. is the car there when you make that decision? <laughs> it's been there every time. See, it hasn't. It hasn't full, happened full yet. This system. is a this is a, this is a risky level one. Of risk. Yeah, because I'm sure this neighborhood gets a lot of that shit. But I, I was told by a guy a long time ago. He says he goes. They don't want to tow. They have to call the tow guy. Blah, 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 blah. Right. That's what he said. So I've gone by that. And also, I feel like a motel around here, I'm being judgmental, is like probably some sort of weird craft den for hookers. I'm just just saying. And that their concerns are not with people possibly parking in their And I was thinking, how would they know if I'm not a guest? Exactly. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. My little devious. Well, here. I hate doing that, but there was nothing around. I know. I know. And I didn't think of going up toward uh, Runyon above Hollywood. Yeah. I, I didn't even think of it well but here's here's the rule this is why i know you're safe you have to tell me afterwards um yeah that every single time i park Mm -hmm. and i go oh my god i'm gonna get a ticket or blah blah blah, i'm 100 fine and it's when i had no idea it was illegal (laughs) that's a good that's when you get it that's a good point you know never park they get you for so much shit. I know. Sunset Plaza area, that insane. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like where all the uh, fucking. You know, Soulless places are. All the soul, like book soup, like oh. that intense sunset tourist, also with yeah. Roxy, with blah, blah, blah. I parked one time there. I read all, and you know how they have tens? Right, they all contradict. You're like, you're like, you're like, well, I think I, I've read these very thoroughly. I yeah. came back and I got a ticket for not. Because it was on a oh, oh, for not moving your for wheels. For not turning my wheels. Yeah. I was like, I didn't want to pay, but you have to. No, I know. That's like, if you ever go to the Soho house, and if they charge, I think, $20 to park there. And as my friend says, you're getting off cheap. Yeah. Because in West Hollywood, yeah. they make up rules to yeah. give you a ticket. Is that right in the middle of that sunset bullshit? It's, it's, it's Doheny, so it's kind oh, of further. Yeah. But you are just, no matter what you do, no matter what yeah. sign you read, yeah. you're going to get a ticket. So just yeah. pay $20, because at least yeah. you're saving 30 or whatever. It's awful. Yeah, totally. totally. Um, so I, I should probably tell people that I'm sitting with Eddie Pepitone. They probably recognize your voice. Plus, they downloaded it, right? They should know. What's wrong with you people that you need an introduction? Are we on? We're on, dude. Oh, good. We're so on. Was that parking thing on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. Everything you say is a that's, gem, man. That's... <laughs> no, but that's funny that, you know, it would be funny to have a podcast... About parking in L.A. About parking in L.A. And <laughs> the only people who would listen to it are the people in L.A. who have to go through that because you love listening to stuff you've been through. Well, because it makes you feel not... When you're going through it, you don't feel so isolated and alone. It's kind of like the whole idea of recovery. I'm not trying to draw a parallel. <laughs> yes, parallel. you are. <laughs> but I'm no. Because it, it, isn't that one of the great things about like programs is that you get to feel less alone because other yeah. people are talking about their suffering through it. Now, here's an interesting thing because you were just asking me, uh, do you go to meetings? Yeah. And 
And what is amazing, not amazing, but what my pattern is with meetings and structure in general is that I go in and out of it and I rebel against it constantly. Interesting. Now, rebellion dogs are every step. You know what's funny is that is not true for me. I mean, I, I rebellion dogs my every step on, cer- on many, many things. <laughs> mistake, but not about that. It's like I've got this. That's weird, great, though. It, but it's like I got sober and I and I felt like suddenly I became Reese Witherspoon in election. You know that Tracy Flick character with like the pencil and she dots every act. Like just completely Com- so anal, so OCD, and I had. You still like that, huh? Yes, more like that all the time. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm grateful. I think that's good, but it's sort of a nightmare too. It is. It's its own hell. Well, any OCD thing is kind of a nightmare because it feels like a jailer. A jailer, like you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this, or you're not going to stay sober. That's what I rebel against. Like when when there's this chorus of like, you know, it's like it's like a Greek chorus where my dad used to listen still does to Italian opera. It's like, you have to do that. Like, it's like a big chorus singing at me. You have to do this. You have to do this. And or else. Yeah. There's so many program sayings, uh, that I, that I, that I rebel against, but I love the one like, wear your recovery, like, like a, a loose, loose garment. garment. Yeah. And I always like kind of dig that one. Yeah. But it's a dangerous thing because if you wear it too loose, yeah. So, you know, yeah, it's interesting. I, I, for some reason, that does not irk me. This, you know, it's our way or the highway thing, which I, cause I, <laughs> I don't really hear that. I know that that's what people who are against programs say is, you know, they, they, you know, this attitude that if you don't do it our way, you're, you're basically going to die or end up in an institution. For mm-hmm. some reason, I don't know. We're all so different. Like, for whatever reason, that does not irk me because so what they're suggesting works for me. Right. I have a lot of trouble in life and, and what they suggest <laughs> helps me have less trouble. Right. And I have come to this now. I don't know if you've come to this, but I have come to this, that the only way you can stop addiction yeah. or indulgence, indulgence is another good word for it. Yeah. Um, like, you know, obsession yeah. is another word. Like, obsession is spirit spirituality. Yeah. Like, that is... Or community is another way to put that. Like, you have to be... And that's why I think it is good to go to meetings or find meditation buddies. Yeah. Like, and I, and I haven't really... Uh, done that with meditation like I'm I'm thinking of going to this group called Against the Stream yeah, you yeah, know yeah. about them he's going to come on the podcast no, is that right yeah I'm yeah. reading Dharma Punks right well now. I met a guy recently at a meeting who like and this kind of flipped me out because he tuned into me he goes hey man he knew me but very kind of cursorily but he was like hey man looks like you got the weight of the world on your shoulders and he is a meditator with the against the stream meditators. And I was like that day. I really did that day. I did. And, and I was like, yeah, I should go. Like I immediately get like, yeah, he was telling me the hours of against the stream. It's Tuesday and Thursday night. Yeah. I was like, I should go. Well, okay. And first of all, like, don't you sometimes feel like that is like whatever the universe, your higher power, like they see yes. you through other people. And so totally. if I'm really down in the dumps and somebody says something like that to me, I've ended up on retreats in Arizona. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought I was. No, no, but don't you, I do that. I bad really that. do that bad. 
Like I hear people say things like that to me. Like I'm especially like that lately with food. Like if someone says, "Do you know that?" uh, Well, the reason uh, one of the last things I heard was that dates are (laughs) dates are low glycemic. Right. Right. So I'm like, oh, I should because I have a sugar thing. I'm like, oh, dates is the way to go. So yesterday I was in Trader Joe's. I bought dates. Oh wow. You know. Yeah. No, I do that low grade. But so your food thing because I've heard you talk about many different food. Okay. So you are vegan or vegetarian i'm vegan you're vegan which is amazing to me because of like what that entails oh my Um, god i could not i could not i fear so many people say that i know i mean i fear of like it becoming convinced that i should because i don't know what i would do you know what i mean yeah so you've been vegan for how long i would say well now i've been so good the last year and i've been you know i started it takes it takes a while to make that transition from mm-hmm. eating dairy and meat into not eating any of that stuff. First of all, you've got to find the right food to yeah. eat. You've got to find out how to eat your body. You've got to listen to your body and all this stuff. Um, so I would say the last three years I've been making that progression. And now I'm, I'm kind of really good. Right. You're not even tempted, right? I'm tempted, but I can turn it off. You know, it's like almost a little bit drugs and alcohol. It's like I'm tempted yeah. occasionally. You know, being yeah. a comedian, I'm around so many pot smokers, right, you know, right. which was my big. So that was your big thing. Yeah. It wasn't alcohol. Alcohol was a thing I love to like lay on top of marijuana. Right. Right. Like I'll have a couple of drinks. And then. And, you know, and then I would get really high. What about drunk. what about other drugs? I I dabbled in cocaine uh-huh. for a brief period, but I couldn't like deal with cocaine. You mean I, the day I, after or the coming down? The the being on it, I almost uh, passed out a couple of times, which scared the fuck out of me. How? How? Did I, uh, I would just I've, on this cocaine that I that I remember one summer I really got into cocaine right. because I was waiting tables in Manhattan right. and there was a guy dealing it and I hated my job I hated waiting tables you know right I was like the typical actor comedian who was like I can't fucking believe I'm here right. so I just wasn't and I was a big pot smoker then and this guy was dealing cocaine and, and at first I loved it because mm-hmm. I was so happy yeah on it that you for The euphoria was really great. I really got into uh, amphetamines when I was like about 17. Oh. And that fucked me up because I didn't sleep and then I'd have to go to work right. construction and I'll never forget right. uh, falling asleep driving on the Belt Parkway in Brooklyn okay. and just falling asleep yeah, yeah, yeah. at the wheel. I had been up all night yeah. you know and uh, drifting into like the grass. I could have got killed but it's I eventually stopped. not a good stopped. advertisement for the amphetamines you were doing either but like you were still <laughs> oh, were they, but was, was I doing the wrong ones? You see that fucks me up now with pot because pot has become so uh you know this medical and they and i'm just fascinated listening to there's this kind and this kind and and you just need to find the right kind for you yeah they sound like corporate people you just need to find the right pot for you yeah yeah i mean i were you a big pot no i hated pot (laughs) you were a big drinker and pill cocaine was my jam Oh like, my goodness! That's why you it. lit up when you were talking about cocaine. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> but like, yeah, no, I. That's just, intense, and you. Well, I mean, I mean, that is a direct attack on your heart. I know. <laughs> 
and your nervous system. But I'm, it, it, well, I mean, but the dopamine and the serotonin, that's what oh, I'm I a know. junkie for. I mean, just mm. shoot those up as high as they can be, you know? And pot just made me... Were you a good listener? No, by the way, I thought of a character. Yeah. I thought of a character that I think is very funny that I might have to try to do it. The cocaine therapist. And it's a therapist who is coked out of their fucking that's mind. That's good. I like that. And they just don't want to listen because they've got so much to say. <laughs> and so the session becomes just the coke therapist, you know, saying, well, obviously, you know, you're, 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 you know, obviously you didn't get a lot of love when you were a very, very small child. Your father wasn't present. Your father wasn't present. I know you, and you know what? I love presents. Like, and whatever their tangent is, I love presents. I love Christmas. You know, I don't like how the Jews celebrate it because there aren't a lot of presents. Like, like... <laughs> sponsored a girl once who was a therapist who did cocaine so that's a very real thing what i had a th- i ru- i was i had a roommate in manhattan uh-huh. it was like a split loft you would walk into the apartment on the right side was her loft on the left side was mine and it was her place she owned it she was a therapist she got murderously drunk Every night I'm talking about I never saw an alcoholic like that in my life and it was insane. Yeah. She would after her sessions she would I would hear the ice cubes tinkling in the kitchen like tick 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 and she had stoli yeah in her freezer and would start getting so fucked up it was hilarious she would call me out she was a lonely woman you can imagine yeah but it was hilarious it was insane to me that she was a therapist and she would do couple therapy and she would start getting so drunk she would start coming on to me and just making all kinds of life plans with me and then the next day it would all be forgotten and I had never I was a big potter but I had never seen that kind of like schizophrenic yeah Yeah. would you get into the life plans or were you like you're crazy you're drunk i was kind of attracted to her yeah. so i would kind of like listen right <laughs> <laughs> but i would after a while even my attraction for her yeah went so away like i just was like she's crazy and sure enough sure enough she flipped out on at me yeah like had a classic like alcohol like the next day when yeah. she was not drunk yeah she she realized I was on her side of the loft because I I thought I had barred her bike or something, and she was just threatening to call the cops on me. Wow. I moved out that day. Poor girl. I we should moved. like we should like pray for her and stuff. What happened to that girl? You know what? I want to know. Yeah. And I don't know. And I and it's funny. You ever like Google someone? Oh, all the time. <laughs> no, but like like someone who's not famous, and you just like put in their name. Yeah. And want to see something come up? Like I I would think she she's got to be one of two things. She's got to be sober yeah. or dead, yeah. as far as I'm yeah. concerned. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. no in-between there. Yeah. you know Was what? that the thing with you? Like, were you like just a big cokehead? I was a big cokehead, not a big drink. I mean, whatever. I drank a ton. But you know what I mean? Not like I didn't have that. You can with it. cocaine, right? You can. You can. I Pot, I always hated it. I tried it in high school. I mean, I did it constant. I mean, not constantly, but I always would like, maybe this time it'll be different. Did it make you paranoid? It made me paranoid about the very thing that now that I'm this long sober, I realize I still have. Like, it actually... <laughs> Oh, that's to it, my it, biggest fear, which was nobody understands what I'm saying. Everybody thinks I'm crazy. I'm disconnected from humanity. Ooh. And it, yeah, and it would get right in there. Right. And and that's what and everyone's laughing. By the way, that is where I'm realizing because I experience panic attacks. Yeah, yeah, I've heard you talk and about 
that. And I realize it's a disconnection from humanity. Oh, interesting. So it's, that's- it's me, and that's why spirituality is so important yeah. for me. And I think addicts or just people in general yeah. that... I can't go around. This is one thing I have come to lately. I can't go around. Like when I'm driving, for instance, in Los Angeles. Here we yeah. go back to the LA-centric. Yeah, you're listening to. <laughs> you're listening to parking and driving in LA. But like if I start getting really pissed off at everybody who's in their other cars, I start getting really anxious. And if I can catch myself and and go... Oh, Eddie, they're just, you know, people and they're not trying to fuck you. Yeah. Don't take it personally, blah, blah, blah. I calm down. Well, yeah. Do you, I don't <clears> know about you, but when you're driving and someone is going really slow in front of you, <laughs> do you take it personally? Because I do. I get mad. No, I have I think to. they're doing it to me. Like that's so narcissism yeah. at its foot finest. They, I they do have, too. And then I'm mad. This is interesting because I think this has to do with childhood trauma. I think they're so unaware of me that they're just going and doing their thing and it, and it brings up childhood stuff. Totally. And by the way, we are not the only people who go through that exact dynamic. That happens yeah. with so many people on the road. Yeah, that's what really What's right hilarious yeah. when you think about it, what's hilarious when you think about it, is what is being reenacted on American roadways are childhood traumas oh, we've all had. Weird. It's so true. It is basically, the American roadways are basically a little psychological childhood laboratory. <laughs> and there should be, instead of cars, people should have places on the road where they can pull off and play with blocks no like like, yes that would be good too get hugs but like kid things like there should be little sandboxes (laughs) on the side of the road or blocks or you know little blocks that you could stack and go and it would be funny like two real blue collar guys just going hey did you think that I was purposely slowing down and, th- and it was really childhood trauma. Same here. <laughs> what, why don't we just put the red with the blue blocks? By the way, I, I think the red and the blue blocks, they don't look they look like the purple block. Did you ever get that? And just guys talking about blocks. That would be amazing. That's a funny, like, short. Do it. Do it. There's shorts are very fulfilling. I don't even know. I'm very bitter. Now, here's that brings me to this point that I made about you before we were recording, which is that I don't think you're that bitter because I listened to. I like to hear that, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the truth is, I think you are, you see Mm. the truth. You are a truth. You are a modern day truth teller. (laughs) There is every reason to be angry today. Yeah. And that, yeah. You are. You mm. have this childlike delight in so many things. Like you've displayed it I several do. times sitting here. You know. Like, <laughs> well, you know, it's like I have a childhood delight in making fun of things. Humor, humor has always been my way out. But intense humor, and a lot of it is kind of nihilistic in nature. Yeah. Like I will make fun of anything. Yeah. And a lot of times I think for other people, I cross the line. But to me, the more pain, the more pain, the more darkness in a joke, the better. Yeah. But people can't handle that. It's- you can't handle the truth, America. Well, yeah, because, but that's because we live in a society that prefers to be in denial about so much and then be totally shocked when like, addicts die or politicians cheat on their wives and like all of these things that like why don't we actually just be honest about about like what we're all suffering from and then we don't I agree. be so shocked you I know? agree I was recent I forget where I was saying this but I was saying that it would be great if we turned our stadiums like Dodger 
Stadium or Yankee Stadium into places where people, there would be like a microphone on the pitcher's mound and let's say you're surrounded by 60,000 people and it's sort of like you just turn every event into a meeting and it's like, hi, I'm Eddie Pepitone and I just want to say I'm scared of you all today. <laughs> and there's clapping like thunderous applause. <laughs> Like, it would be funny if emotions became a sport. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, which they kind of are to people. The way people, you know, relationships are kind of sport yeah. for people. Like, can I make, you know, my lover cry? Or can I right. get what I want is really right. a sport. Or can I get as many as possible? That makes me feel yeah. one, you know? It's interesting because I feel like I've heard you say that, that, that like in terms of doing other things alcoholically that you kind of use sports as like maybe an escape, you know? Oh, yeah. I envy that. I don't care about sports. I, I like try to pay attention and I zone out. And I and you don't. I that envy. should not be envied. Well, but it's something, to, <laughs> it's something to get really excited about, you know? Yeah, for a little bit. But it's it's interesting because I just came from watching the U.S. men's hockey team mm-hmm. lose to the Canadian men's hockey team, and that's a big rivalry. Yeah. And like, I'm not a patriotic guy, but I get like I love hockey. Yeah. And my team lost, and it's that's the other like. But I have a side of sports like it's such an empty feeling when your team kind of doesn't play well or it's like the, it doesn't live up to your expectations. Well, so does being disappointed about a team losing when you care when you're mm-hmm. invested in that team mm-hmm. feel the same thing as being disappointed about something in your own life? No. Oh. Right? Oh, uh, I think it does. It does. It does. When I, I realize that I'm, I'm, I'm still a passionate sports fan, but I've gotten so much better. I, when I look back at when I was a kid, I started becoming a big sports fan young. My dad was a big sports fan, and that's how you get into it. You know, your parent or whatever. And at the age of nine, I remember, this came back to me kind of recently, my team, the Rangers, New York Rangers in hockey, lost, and I took a hammer to a radio because I was listening to the game on a radio. It was oh like the, the the games weren't all the games weren't televised back then, and I destroyed the radio. My father came down and heard me breaking the radio with a hammer, and he was like, "What the fuck are you doing?" And I realized what I was doing was I was putting my hopes. And I was putting, I wanted the Rangers, and this is the thing with sports, I wanted my team to give me the things I didn't get as a kid. Wow. So, wow. You know, like, that happens, and I've gotten more mature about it. Like, right, like right. the USA lost today in hockey, and I was like, ah, fuck them. <laughs> I was like, fuck them. They played so weak, and I, it's over. I've forgotten about it. Right. And I, and I even look at myself and go, why am I? I always question my right. investment right, right, in sports. Right, right. But it is fun a lot of times. I mean, that's probably the envious thing for you, but yeah. it is fun a lot of times. Like, I do completely... Um, forget myself for a couple of hours. That's what I envy. The check, you know, I don't have a lot of ways I check out. I meditate too, by the way. You're what? I mean, I do, I do what's called Vedic meditation. Do you know what that? It's like an offshoot of transcendental meditation. Yeah. The mantra based kind. That's I do the mantra based kind. Oh, you do? Did mm-hmm. you get Transcendental. Yes, yeah, so you, did you go to the TM center? Like how did you I, I got that? taught by, uh, by a comedian who's uh, a teacher in TM. But not, not, do you know Laura House? Yeah, that's her. That's who you learn from? Yeah. We do the same kind. 
You, oh, really? She's a good friend of mine. Oh, I didn't know. When this podcast started, it was with me and Laura, and then she got a job. And um, so oh, she shit. Do it. Oh, she's one of my favorite people of all time. Yeah, Laura, Laura um, taught me TM. That's amazing. T- I TM. know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she learned from Tom Knowles, who's the person I learned from. Yeah, I hear about him all yeah, the time. Yeah, he's pretty, he's pretty amazing. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean. But I can't, I have had trouble staying with it. Oh really? Totally. Is it I, the same rebellion that you have with the program? Um, I, I I think it is, but you know, it's that thing of like just like I mean, difficult thing of just like saying, okay, I'm just going to sit here, yeah, for 20 minutes. My my mind buzzes so fast, and I'm always thinking I've got something else to do, and it's it's it 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 sometimes takes a backseat. It like anything, like the way you say that you do the program, which I think is really good because you just do it. It's become a habit. Yeah. And I think it's got to become habit and it hasn't become habit with me now. Like I used to do it. Here's what happened, really. I used to do it first thing in the morning. I got a dog. Oh, and now I have dog, to walk yeah. the dog and I walked the dog for like an hour in the in this park and I love my dog so much. I've heard you talk about this. Char- Charlotte, is that her yes. name? <laughs> yes. And like... I then, by the time I come back, I'm like, ah, I want coffee. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I... Um, so, I'm well, out right I, now. Yeah, I mean, I don't... I did the same, the same exact thing I did with the program I did with this meditation. I got my mantra. I do it twice a day. I'm like no. super, like, obsessive about it. it. And that's a problem, too, because sort of... I'm serious. Cause <laughs> Why is like, that a problem? Because, okay, because... You're somebody, doing what you're supposed to okay, do. So, at, let's, What's say, the problem? let's say it's Saturday at 4 o'clock. This happened to me last Sunday, oh. with a friend, having the greatest time ever, and then I have something to do that night, and he, my friend's like, oh, and you're thinking, me. when yeah. am I going to get my meditation? Yeah, I got to go, I got to do this, and even when I tell myself, look, you can miss a day, the the brain, the other half goes, no, you can't. You, you can't. And it, it's tied into self-worth. I somehow convinced myself that if I do not do these things, I don't deserve to live, to exist, something like that. Yeah, yes. I totally get that. I totally get that. And that's why the addict mind is so hard to deal with. Because yeah. even when you are doing what is prescribed and what is good for you, you fucking, not Torture you, but everybody. Yeah. Yeah, you turn it like it's a bad thing. I know. I know. <laughs> it's laughable. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. But let me ask you this. Um, when you do do the second meditation yeah. and you've made the time to do it, do you always feel better right after it? Well, that's very hard to gauge. <laughs> I know. You know, and when I first learned, Tom had said in his lecture, you know, maybe it was it was someone who learned from Tom said, you know, once you start doing this practice, people are going to come rushing up to you and just go, God, you are so calm. What is your secret? Has that happened? Never. Not only has it never happened, it will never happen. I'm very clear about the fact that I do not emanate calm. You know what I mean? Sometimes I feel like, and this isn't a knock on Laura or Tom, but, and this may be me rebelling again Mm -hmm. against like structure, but sometimes I feel like people who uh, practice something like that or advocate something like that, they become like, like spokes persons for it and you know it, I don't think that's the reality I think the yeah. reality is is that what I try to do with meditation is like ha- let it happen organically and like if that day is going where well my 20 minute meditation my second one yeah. I always would get the first one in yeah, yeah, yeah. but the second one would it's be tougher. tricky yeah I just got to the point where I was like well 
I'm not going to be able to do the second one. Right. And I'm okay. Here's the thing with me, and this is what takes the place for a lot of quote unquote practices. When I do, and I've realized this, when I do stand up comedy, yeah. that is like a spiritual practice mm. for me without trying to sound too pretentious because it, I get so much out when I am on stage. And you're in the moment. And I'm in the moment, right. and I get a lot of love from people. Right. I also, you know, really have learned to, like, you know, by and large, most of the time, like, really put my soul into what mm. I'm doing. And it feels like a big release, even though lately, the last week or so, I've come home from stand-up shows, and I can't sleep that well. Oh, is that new? Mm. It, it 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 goes on and off because I sometimes I just get so fucking wound up yeah. by the intensity of my emotions and ideas. Yeah. You know, I think I'm looking like I'm always looking for something to save me. Like yeah. like will meditate like seriously yeah. like will meditation save me? Will prayer save me? I, when I talk to God, it's like save me. Yeah. Like. Will my relationship save me? I, I do this bit now with my dog. I'm so into my dog lately. Yeah. I hold her and I go, Charlotte, save me. Right, right. Oh, hello, Charlotte. And she's like, okay. Um, I, I talk about how I'm, I'm fucking up my dog. Oh, right, right, right. No, I have trauma. I have a cat who's totally traumatized, but she's, no, but she's traumatized. I have the kind of cat that people walk in there and they're like, oh, rescue. And, and no, no, no. She is just traumatized by the youth I gave her. I was not sober when she was. Oh, kid. no. By the way, like by the way, I am so, this is going to sound because I never had kids. Do you have any no, kids? No. But I've never had kids and my animals are my kids yeah. completely. Because you had cats and now you have a dog, right? I have five cats. You still have five cats. Yeah. Wow. Well, I had two. I met my wife and she. She had three. Right, right. And, and then we have five together. Do they get along? Uh, well, there is some definite tension between the two ladies. Oh, okay. So it's <laughs> the, the all two, guys and then four? Three, three guys and two uh, girls. And the girls are, are they, they, yeah, they're queens. Yeah. And they, they both want to be queen. Yeah. And only one can be queen. <laughs> I think it's, it's like a miracle that you can have five cats that did not grow up together that will even cohabit. By the way, cats. that is such a sweet thing to watch animals cohabitate that don't know each other. Oh, and now sweet. the dog. Now, she's a terrier, so she's ter ter territorial. Oh, we let her sleep with us on the bed. And we. this is hilarious. She's a rescue. And, it, and the rescue agency told us she gets along beautifully with cats. Well... That is not, not that is not true. Oh, really? Well, she doesn't let any cat near us on the bed. Did the cats used to go in the bed? Oh, yeah. It's yeah. so sad because yeah. now only one has the courage to constantly battle her, which, by the way, is very unsettling because all during the, or especially the early part of the night when we're getting settled in, it's just like she's chasing one of our cats, Criswell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, they have each other. I don't feel bad yeah. for your cats. I'm not. No, the they're, they're fine. Yeah. But what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. You were saying that you were doing drugs when you first had yes. your cat. And I have witnessed, by the way, yeah. people on drugs with their animals and it makes me angry. Oh, so you've been into people's houses. Well, I'm thinking of one particular guy. I was traveling last year in Austin. Yeah. It was in Austin. And it was a meth addict uh, living above us, a speed freak. Yeah. And he had 
the sweetest fucking cat. And you know what this fucking guy would do? He would fucking play. We, we, we did one of these. My, the director of The Bitter Buddha, we were touring with the movie. And he found this. I forget what they call it. It's like, like someone left their apartment for a week. So we got it during the South by Southwest Festival. Okay. Oh, like the Airbnb So the guy above the fucking. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, one yeah, of those yeah. fucking things are. Yeah. So the guy above us would crank the loudest music. And cat's hearing is super so sensitive. sensitive. Yeah. And I wanted to take this cat home. Oh. He would come down. I, we started, I started just taking him into our place. But we had to leave. Yeah. Yeah. This I cat mean, was abused. Yeah. I, I, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. No, no. She I don't makes know what. Me feel bad every day because basically, oh, no. And also, it's like I have all these party pictures, like, and and it's like it's like some trashy girl smoking a cigarette, like two like gay guys snorting coke, and then you see Toby just like, like with her sweet little face looking at the camera, like what's happening in my life? So yeah, so she you know, but what I mean, but this is, isn't that. Yeah, I'm sure you do. do. But isn't it amazing though how when we are on drugs like that like i never even knew it like how how just self-absorbed we are like how i mean i still am me too me too i was just gonna say that the narcissism is so intense it's so so okay wait because this is such a good conversation i'm neglecting to do these like very basic things so you what's that well like just like like i want to hear about how you smart started smoking pot when I I started smoking when I was 14. And by the way, I look now at what a... um, 14-year-old looks like. They're so young. children, I know. They're children. I know. It's really really alarming. I look at it and I go... And I I go, wait a minute. You were smoking pot back then, Andy? What the fuck? And I remember having a shrink because I went to therapy a lot early. Like, yeah. I've been in therapy. I think I started going when I was 17 or 18 because I had a fucking nervous breakdown when I went to college. When I left home, I had a nervous fucking breakdown. I w- it would take the form of me looking in a mirror uh-huh. and not knowing, not recognizing a face and having to run from the mirror. I, I would, like, look in. It sounds like a bad Lifetime movie, but, but I would what look. What does that at, mean? So you would look at the mirror. I would look in the mirror and not know. I would like not recognize my face. So do you think you the trauma of your childhood? You had grown acclimated, and then you leave it. And do you think that's what it was that you were just like, wait, this is this yeah? Is and then adding the, the trauma. And then adding, it was it was very actually. Now that I've got distance on it, what was going on is I had no, I literally had no idea who I was. Yeah, because of childhood trauma with then smoking intensely. Like I was like a big stoner from the age of fourteen. Like right. I would be high. Like I'd get up, get high, get high, and you know I was yeah. high. All, I didn't know. I didn't develop yeah. what people develop. Yeah, yeah. I was always trying to please my dad. That's kind of my psychological yeah. makeup. My mom was bipolar, manic depressive, yeah. whatever the word is. And she was she was institutional. Yeah, she started going in and out of psychiatric facilities when I was nine. Yeah. Yeah. And my dad, like, kind of put all his eggs in my basket, meaning right. 
because I was supposedly, and this fucked up my sister. I have one sister. I was supposedly the bright one. Yeah. And so, Eddie, you're going to be a doctor. Right, and I was right. trying to please him so badly. I had no idea who I was. I went to college. I had a nervous breakdown. And so what happened? I had to leave college. Yeah. I fucking was in Fordham University yeah. in, in the Bronx. And I had to get out. I was having my first like major panic attacks. And I didn't calm down for like couple of months. So you went home? Is that what happened? I went home and then I w- went back to college. Okay. I went back to college and then after a year I had an affair with my college professor who was 40 and I was 20. And that was insane yeah. and intense. Yeah. And like, where did that come from? And I was still smoking, but I was slowly becoming my own person. Yeah. Like I started meeting other like artists. I started yeah. doing, uh, I wrote a play that got produced at the college. I was one of the, then I became the functioning pothead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and so then you, were you in a good therapy? Were you in therapy where they were like, these are panic attacks and, and this is what you do or? You know, Here's the thing. I, I think you, therapy, this is my thing anyway. I don't think therapy works if you're getting high. No, I 100% agree with you. Even after the session, a couple of sessions, I would actually be high in. And, of course, my therapist would know and go, don't come here like this okay. again. And I'd be like, all right. <laughs> you're a drag. <laughs> no, you're totally ruining my buzz, doctor. Yeah. I, therapy I, is still really hard. Like, I yeah. go to therapy. Yeah. And I think it helps, but it's like a little piece of the puzzle. It sure is. Don't you know what I mean? Yeah, do you go? I do. Oh, yeah. And I, t- I started little, is when it? I was 16. Oh, but the yeah. thing is, I have a great therapist now. I've never oh, had a so great good. therapist until now. That's so good. But like even so she's amazing it only helps a little you know yeah um, because and that and that's getting back to like spirituality yeah like ooh, that's a big one yeah you know like how much like i think here's the thing with therapy or me anyway is i go into the sessions trying to figure out what is wrong with me or why i'm like the way i am like why yeah. am i having panic yeah. panic attacks like why am i having panic and like you know i think the best therapy sessions at least for me is when uh, like this happened the uh, the last therapy mm-hmm. session out of the blue i have no idea i'm going to therapy i'm like whenever i'm going to therapy my friend dana gould actually says i got to come up with a set list for therapy like what am i going to talk about because a lot of times now i go to therapy and i'm like i'm feeling okay i don't even know why i'm going that's amazing i got that's <laughs> <laughs> Really? Like the longest list, and then well, that's kind of good because you're very prepared. But very, yeah. I go in, but the, but this happens to me is all of a sudden a memory mm-hmm. will come from childhood, mm-hmm. an intense event, yeah, that happened between my dad and my mom, and I was part of it, and I, it's like going through a, a trauma with her in the office and I think that's deep and healing it's like the the best part of therapy I think is when your therapist like lets you know that it's safe to feel whatever yeah. the hell you are feeling but then it's this journey and I don't know if it ever ends right this it's like what you try to do I think is try to heal what you went through so you recall these painful things 
you know? And I had this happen to me on, um, when did I see her? Tuesday. And I was so tired the next, you ever go through that kind of thing in therapy where I was tired for about 36 hours. Well, I, I think that's amazing that you have memories you've never, you've never had before. I've had them. But You'd re- like, no, but I never knew or had the courage to experience the intensity of how I felt as a kid. Because wow. to me, and this I think may be like why it's so hard to heal. These things are so traumatizing when we're little, little kids and heartbreaking. Like, like I feel like... Like, to me, it's just so – some of the stuff that happened in my family with my mom going in and out of institutions and not trying to make this morbid, but it's so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, heartbreaking to, like, the level of the only thing you can do is weep. Yeah. But for me to just – and I think women actually – and no offense to the ladies. I think the women have it easier to weep. Oh, to oh, weep. oh, that it's not so. No, I think yeah. women heal better than men. Yeah. In general, like that's a generality, but I think think that men, that that men, because of just like, you know, you know, men aren't supposed to cry as much or, or, you know, machismo. Right. Like I'm Italian and that's a very macho culture. Yeah. I mean, I'm Jewish too. Right. Yeah. I'm Jewish too. Well, here's the thing. I totally agree with you in general, but I also think crying and all of that has so much to do with just the actual family we were raised in. You know what I mean? There are, I know some guys who just like weep like babies. And oh I, yeah. I yeah. think those guys are lucky. I do too. Well, I, it makes me uncomfortable because <laughs> you see that's from now. Why does that make you because, uncomfortable? Well, I'm threatened by it because I can, I have like, a You're specific, threatened yes. Well, I have a specific thing that like my, my, my dad would always laugh if I cried. So I actually cannot, like cannot do it in public. Cannot. Oh, in public. No, I can yeah. do it. I can do it. Right. Like uh, for sure. Yeah. But like, I don't know, even in recovery, when people are like, you know, they're taking their, you know, sobriety chips or their cakes and they're just like, and I just am so oh, yeah. I will never be that person. And I am profoundly I, grateful. Yeah. I, I think I have cried at one meeting, but, and that, that again took me by surprise. I think it's a good thing. Did you cry out of the happiness or sadness? It's always a common... It, oh, interesting. Well, no, it's usually deep sadness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, it's the happy cry that threatens me more than the sad cry. It's a happy cry. By the way, I often think of... Uh, I love like little sentences, and you're a writer. Like, I just think that would make a great bumper sticker. I'm threatened by the happy cry. I'm threatened by the happy cry. <laughs> and the reason that's a great bumper sticker is because it's so deep, and people would just look at that on the road and go, what the fuck? I think I know which... <laughs> How funny that is. Well, t- take it. You know what? Go make those bumper stickers. How funny. I am threatened by the happy cry. But it's true. Yeah, I mean, I feel it very actively. I'm very aware, you know? Um, and, but okay, but hold on. Back to you. So you, mm. so you, so pot, panic attacks, then mm. what gets you to the point where you're like, I got to cut this out? You know what got me to the point of I got to cut this out? It just hit me like a ton of bricks. Eddie, this was the voice, maybe the voice of God. It says, Eddie, if you keep doing this, you will never, ever be a good comedian. And that, whether that's really narcissistic of me or not, like, 
like a comedy for me. I'm lucky in the sense that I've only had one calling from a young age. Right. I never kind of, um, you know, had a, a problem knowing what I was going right. to do. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, like I, I, I do like teaching because I love that process, but I couldn't go in every day doing it. Oh, God, no, but you get to do that now. You yeah. do that a little bit, right? Teaching? Yeah. What do you mean? Well, I've heard you talk about it. you teach kids, you play favorites. Oh, <laughs> I heard you talk oh, about this thing. I've talked about. Well, I've got. I've done little workshops and yeah. stuff when people ask me to do yeah. it, and it's hilarious. I'm a terrible teacher because you pick because favorites. I totally yeah, I pick favorites, yeah. and it's awful. Yeah, and I didn't realize. Maybe I'd be better now, but I didn't realize how much that hurts the other kids. I know. I had this yeah. one kid just fucking attack me for for, for loving this other kid. Well, yeah, but also, didn't you say they would tell the people? They'd be like, yes, yes. Like, and I would get in trouble. Children. <laughs> They're so aware. So, okay. <laughs> I, so, yeah, I relate to that. And I also think for you, uh, like for, for some people saying, I got to get sober because I'll never be a good comedian. You could say. I'll never reach my potential. You, I'll never do what God right. put me on this earth to do. Because I don't think it's as simple as I'll never be that, the height of my career. To, you, to me, yeah. it seems like for you, it's kind of the same thing with me in writing. It's personally what I need, what feeds me, what helps me evolve in my writing. It's all intertwined. It doesn't have to do with let me be the most successful true. writer. It's just this very, is my path, you know? Very true. And um, it, it just, it's like, it's like, I, it just, it, it was like, I just basically the voice was, you're wasting your life. And when was that? I was about, I was about 38. So, 39. And, and so you then, did, you didn't go to rehab or anything, right? Did you? No. No, I didn't go to rehab. Yeah. But one day after, I had this girlfriend and she was such a party animal. Yeah. I, I hadn't had a a real well I did actually but but this one took it to another level and so we were doing it together and she was a big drinker yeah as well so I started doing shit like I was living in Park Slope Brooklyn have mm-hmm. you ever lived in New York mm-hmm. so I was living in Park yeah. Slope Brooklyn I love that that roll of the eyes you gave in must New York but no I was sober oh, for last cocaine in New York but no I was sober oh, for last we're back. We've had some recording difficulties, but we've 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 gotten closer a little bit. It brought it brought me closer to you. The recording yeah, difficulties. totally. The downtime we had yeah. was just we finally were able to drop the veil of <laughs> honesty and integrity and courage <laughs> and just start gossiping. I, yeah, no, I felt very spiritually connected to you while we were gossiping. We weren't gossiping. <laughs> we I weren't. Think people we were not go- We weren't. So, I'm being so funny. so. You realized that that it was time. I just realized after running around. With, you know, parting together with this mm-hmm. woman at, I guess I was like 39, 40. Mm-hmm. I just was like, whoa, y- you know, what the fuck? Why do you keep smoking so much? And here's the thing. I tried to quit pot. This mm-hmm. is what would happen to me. And I heard a friend recently say this. When I would quit pot for two or three days, I would feel so bored. Mm. And so empty, like the emptiness and the boredom, I would feel so bored. And I just had a guy recently tell me, he goes, uh, yeah, you know, I'm definitely an alcoholic, but but when I quit it, uh, I'm bored to tears. And I said, dude, you have to guys, you have to get through that. And he didn't want to really hear it. Yeah. He just thinks, well. I, you know, when I'm drunk, I'm a great storyteller. I love music. And I go, you could be that way without that shit. But 
It is hard, man. It's hard the first uh, 20 years. <laughs> it's hard the first lifetime. It's hard the first lifetime is a great way to put it. Yeah. Well, here's my experience. Is First of all, I got sober and I, my first year was amazingly easy. Yeah. The no. first year is like, well, you get so many accolades from people. So accolades and you have all these like new people who you relate to. Yeah. And then. I'm telling you, my hardest part is, I would say that what I've been processing the last six months has been the hardest. It's been the that, hardest? Doesn't that make people excited to get to 13 years? Oh, you're thir- No, no. I have heard that all the time. And I really believe that, you know, the more, like they talk about that, the more time you have in sobriety, the more kind of, I don't know, vigilant, like vigilant or and, and, things come up. Like, like, like what I was talking about being in my therapist's office, like I'll go into my therapist's office and all of a sudden a childhood trauma will yeah. come up. I think it's like that in sobriety. Like, yeah. like all of a sudden this thing pops up where you're like what the fuck is this you know feelings or memories or you know challenges and just I think for me it's like greater awareness around around certain painful truths and me having alcoholic reactions to those realizations like almost the kinds of reactions I would have had in the beginning because these are new realizations God I'm just realizing this as I'm saying it and and then I'm like what What's my? I'm sober so loud. You know the biggest problem is is ego. Like sure. like and 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 it's like I was I'm into Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. Are I you know. into Power of Now? I kind of not really. I mean I I don't really read it, but I think I get it. The message is just be present. Yeah. <laughs> That's all it is. Like yeah, when you so boil it down. It. Yeah. What? I don't need to read it then. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. But um. Like, what does he talk about? Oh, I lost my, my train of thought, but um, about what were we talking about? We were talking about, about uh, why it gets harder and, and right. uh, traumas coming up and, and um, being in the present moment. Oh, and ego, ego. There it is. Yeah. He said, thank you so much. Yeah. He says that for spiritual people, their biggest thing is look at how spiritual I am. And I think people, I don't, I mean, I only have four years sober. I had seven. Now I'm back to four. I had a slip with pot. It it was like, uh, it it was a kind of weird on and off year thing. Uh-huh. It's I was lucky to get back yeah. to being sober. Yeah. But um, in that year, were you telling yourself oh, this? Program? Oh yeah. They're, you were like they were crazy. Yes. <laughs> you were like this like abstinence. Well, the big thing I tell myself is Eddie, you're not really oh, okay. a fucking addict. Right. Okay. You're right. just a guy who likes to have fun. Right. 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 <laughs> and then and then. But his biggest thing, Eckhart Tolle is talking about, you know, is is your ego becomes look at how spiritual I am and that's just as destructive as any kind of I fucking know. ego yeah. yeah I love the word humility I mean that if you know humble like okay I gotta be humble like if I can remind myself yeah. and it's a very difficult thing to do in this world because it seems that the people who get things aren't very humble right but right. not not true all the time that's for sure it's not true all the time, but like, you know, even you've talked about like this self-promotional society we live in. Oh, How do God. you do that while remaining humble? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think the things that I, okay. Yeah. I feel like, 
um, couple things. Like I was sending this email. I'm moving out of my apartment, and I hate this building. And so I was. Sending I hate my building this, too. <laughs> I was sending this email that basically was saying to the building. Yeah, no, like like basically was saying, I, no, like in different words. I know you're a total asshole, so you're not going to give me what it is that obviously any decent person would give me. And like, is this to the owner or the building the manager? manager? Yeah. Right? And then I have to delete that part of the email because I go, oh, that's probably not going to get me what I want. Like the fact that I come at it that way is is something that I need to work on. And also, I think it's great that you delete it. Sometimes yeah. I send those yeah, things too. off. Me too. Me too. And do you notice the common theme is you don't get what you want? <laughs> Definitely. And I notice also that whenever I send something off like that and I get an email back from that person, I never want to open it. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, why do I have so much fear? If I was in the right, like, if I was in the right to say that, then how come I'm so scared to open this? Obviously, it wasn't right to call this person a flaming fucking moron. (laughs) Well, well, it's that that line in our literature, self-righteous anger is the dubious luxury of normal men. It's the best sentence in that book because it's like, if I'm wrong and I'm angry, that's one thing. If I'm right, watch out because, like... I will take that. I can do and say anything if I'm right and I'm angry. By the way, that does fuck me up because uh, that thing that we, they can, they say, right, in our literature that the justified anger isn't even for us. Yeah. Anger yeah. that's justified. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. That's the worst Where does I that think. leave me? Well, because it just doesn't, it just doesn't bring us to, you know, I don't know. It's like I agree with it. Um, like, um, ultimately okay, like I will just take it and I will keep taking it and I will feel worse and worse and worse. And anger is not my friend lately. Good. I think that's good. Anger is not my buddy. What if you just become like the non-angry comic and you're just like, you know, what? I, I think just love you guys. I, I think that but would be very, so great. I think that would be very funny actually. And it would also save my voice because yeah. I've become known for a screaming on yeah. stage. And I think it is funny. And I know people think it's funny too, where I, I kind of take my rage to a cartoonish level. Yeah. Like I'm yeah. making fun of rage by yeah. being so rageful, but it takes a lot out of my voice. I wonder when I listen to that, I, I, my throat hurts, you know, my throat hurts. Yeah. Yeah. I can't do it anymore. So, okay. So, so what's next? I mean, how much, so what did the bitter Buddha like, did that change your career? How did that feel? You took me to another level, but you know, what's interesting because I was actually last night I was doing stand up and I, and I was making fun of myself where I would approach shows when I was a younger comic saying, maybe this show will launch me. Oh, yeah. It does not work like that. It's like every show, every podcast, every tweet, everything you write, it all just kind of accumulates. So the Bitter Buddha movie was a nice little bump, but it certainly didn't make me famous or big, you know, or big. T- like I'm, I'm a lot more known and that's really nice. Like I love like my ego, like loves, like I was just in your lobby. Oh, and, and uh, a guy came off the elevator and goes, I'm a really big fan of yours and you're always welcome in this building. Like he owned it, but he was a young kid, but it was great. I, yeah. It was someone on this floor. That's so cute. That's so cute. But I love that. So, the movie has given me a nice little uh, jump in popularity and helped me. Yeah. It's funny, that thing that you just said, because I think that I, when you write books, mm. when you're writing a book. You, I want to write one now. You believe. Oh, you might not when I finish this. <laughs> you 
believe that this is going to be the overnight thing. Because you wouldn't, why would you sit there and write 300 pages if you didn't believe that? That's a really yeah. hard thing to do. And then, you know, I have a friend it's who true. writes books and he says, you know, I feel so sorry for people when their books come out. Everyone else is like, I feel so what you're dealing with is Why? like, oh my God, it's it's sort of like if you had a movie and you had a studio behind you and you wrote it and you directed it and you were the only star and then the oh. movie comes out and the, and the producers are suddenly like not at all involved anymore. And, right. and no one really cares because it's a book. Nobody really cares. I know. That's what it's like. It's like the, it is a it is like an adult trauma. It truly is. And I know how ungrateful that sounds. I'm not. I'm extremely grateful for having had the opportunities. But that's the reality. And most book authors will admit that. You mean like it comes out, and instead of getting like all this attention, you don't get anything. You don't. Get is that it. what you're saying? And, and I think also the part that's the hardest is that the publisher just you feel like they, they have just with you. The whole oh time. yeah. They were like, we are we are together in this partnership, <laughs> and then suddenly, and then it's over. And it's just you. Well, I'm going through that. I'm actually coming down from touring with the movie last year. Right. And there was a big buzz yeah. about the movie and getting all this stuff uh, from the movie. And now the movie's over. Yeah. And it's a, it's a crash. Yeah. And I've actually, actually this year. This year, there's been a few dark nights of the soul for me where I've never felt kind of this kind of like, like kind of a mopey depression mm. type of thing, mm -hmm. you know, like I, just sort of like, whoa, Eddie, get at, like, I've actually been like, Eddie, you're thinking black thoughts, not suicidal thoughts, right. but just these like, like a th the thought that I've had is your life's kind of over. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, get, I mean, I, I, I think that's crazy and yet i have those thoughts all the time you, you know? do yeah yeah and it's madness I, I mean it's madness i have them yeah i have them that's my latest thing your life's over yeah it's a total lie i mean i think that's alcoholism that's my theory is that it's like if you've got a disease that once what once do you, you boil down because that's a word alcoholism mm -hmm. what do you boil it down to negative thinking i think negative thinking is not being that, extreme enough right right well, what is it what is I it i think it is a a a a part of a, a way of thinking yeah. that basically wants you dead. And yeah. if it can't kill you, it will settle for drunk. And if it can't get you drunk, it's going to work really hard to make you. You know what Eckhart Tolle calls that? What? The pain body. And it's an interesting, interesting thing. He says what it is, is it's this negative energy that has been in you for a long time. And it actually is an entity that feeds on you. It's a yeah. parasite and you are the host. Yeah. I believe that, but he says that's true of all humans or of addicts or uh, particularly stronger in addicts. But and it just depends on the person. Not all humans. It's clearly, not, not all humans. I see some of them, and they are not dealing with that. Clearly, right? Right. Right. So you mean nor bastards. some normies? I don't know. And just yeah, just people that that are like clearly mm. don't struggle. Yeah, with it, that. It, it, it bugs me. It's me too. It bugs me. And and the and the way he says that that gets healed is through just being present. Yeah. So now you really don't have to read the book, but that, <laughs> because that's like... I the, almost know more than Eckhart Tolle about his book, I feel. You I, what? I almost know more than the author at this point. <laughs> but like, yeah. Well, he's enlightened. Yeah. I mean, I think, 
I think that it's, I, I think also that it's, it's the resisting of pain that is painful. It's like when you're just like, oh, okay. Yeah. So I feel like my life is over, you know, and you, okay, this is my, this is yeah. what I think. I think mm-hmm. it's like, okay, it's like disappointment. I feel mm-hmm. disappointed that this thing is over. And then my brain comes in there and it goes, you know what? Your life is over. Oh, that's a good, Whereas that's, if you that's... just process, I feel disappointed that this is over. That's manageable. Yeah. But your life is over is not manageable because what are you going to do with that? You know? Yes. Right? Yes. But And it gets back to, you know, this thing about weeping <laughs> because I think instead of resisting, if you just feel that disappointment yeah. and let it kind of yeah. go through you, that's the beauty, I think, of, you know, let's say weeping. I guess you could take weeping and be too weepy, but, yeah. Yeah. you know. But I mean, and, and so, and also then you can go, okay, I'm disappointed this was over. That was a really fun high. And then you can go, that was so cool. There was this movie yeah. made about me. Yeah. And I got to tour for a year mm-hmm. and it's a great movie. You know, it really is. And like, and that like, you didn't come up with oh. this idea. This other guy came oh, up yeah, with this totally. idea. Oh yeah, totally. It's an amazing thing. Like, I think I don't have enough distance on it yet. Like yeah. it ended last year or whatever. And, uh, it, it, it's just, it's just, I think an amazing thing that yeah. happened Yeah. and it really happened. And I'm still like, kind of like, because I'm always, and this is another part of the alcoholic mind or the addict mind. Like I don't want to admit that there are good things yeah. in my life yeah. or that yeah. I deserve these good things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, that's a big thing too. Yeah. You know, like just, and that's why a big prescription a big healing thing for the addict mind is live in gratitude. And I'll tell you when I can focus like on that, but it's very hard for me to do. Me too. Me too. Because I feel it's contrived. Okay. I'm going to make a gratitude list. And I'm like, Oh, I'm glad I could see. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm always like, Oh, I'm glad for Charlotte. I'm glad for my wife. I'm glad for, um, it's always the same things. And they, and I've been told, no, you gotta, you gotta find I'm, I'm doing my steps again with uh, a new sponsor and she's making me send her a gratitude list every day. Is that, is that helpful? Well, it is. Is it hard? Um, no, not really. And, but I also have a thing that I will not put, I, every day it has to be 10 new things because I'm just hard on myself. (laughs) (laughs) I've only put like my cat once, you know, I've only put my cat down once, you know, and I, so I have to come up with 10 things that happened that day that I'm grateful for. That's pretty amazing by the way. But that's what the exercise is for. And so it's kind of like meditation. You ask like, do I feel like, Oh, I did my afternoon meditation. I feel so good. No, it's the cumulative effect of doing that and thinking that way, yeah. I believe, is elevating my happiness. Totally. Or my acceptance or whatever it is. But yeah, yeah. the gratitude is yeah. so important. I think you're working a very good program. Well, thank you. I, 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 I <laughs> I'm am, a little it's, jealous. It's only out of like necessity. You yeah, know? I know. But it's, it's true. It's true. But so many people need to be doing what you're doing well, and yes. are not doing well, it. But They're not a, doing the it. Thing, my tolerance for misery is very low. Same here. Really? And particularly, and this is wild, particularly with sober people, like yeah. if I'm 
in meetings and or just know people who've been sober for a while and they're miserable, I particularly dislike them (laughs) because I feel they are not taking that sobriety and doing the right thing with it. It's like, dude, if you're going to be sober, then let's, you know, fucking have fun. Totally. But some people are okay with being like that. Like I'm, I happen to not be okay with being like that. So then I work hard. It doesn't mean I'm so great. Yeah. But how do people, how are people okay with being miserable? Some people are. Really? Some people are. I guess so. I guess I shouldn't be so surprised at that. Well, yeah. I mean, I've been like that. I think fear keeps them like that, you know? Yeah. It's just, and so, and so it's, um, you know, it's sort of like people who judge those people who can't get sober, who like, you know, relapsed 15 times in a month. Well, they've got the, I believe they've got the disease worse than I do. So how am I going to sit there and judge them as not being as good as I am? Plus whenever I'm judging, I know I'm like kicking in with the ego and it's subtle. It's subtle because I think, well, I have to judge. I have to discern things yeah like i play all these mind games like oh well i have to judge i have to discern or how am i gonna get through life but then i start going well i'm better than this person yeah and that's a that's a slippery slope right for sure for sure because if you're judging like and i've heard you talk about this that like this kind of like you do like a scorecard of like you know like (laughs) i'm a loser i'm a winner whatever which i think comes from having parents that that kind of were like if you do this you're a winner if you do this you're a loser or whatever boy that really is my head and that kind of that kind of also explains my love for competitive sports i'm like my team is winning my team is winning therefore i am winning my team is winning therefore my team is losing i'm a loser oh my god see that that makes me understand sports for the first time it makes me understand why people care yes i've never cared that's the key Wow. That's the whole key. But like, yeah, I mean, the thing is, if I'm better than someone one day, that means I have the capacity to be worse than them the next day. And that's, that's when point. I'm in a battle that I'm never going to be happy, you know? So it's like to really get that, like, that, like, we're all kind of like the same, that we're making this shit up in our heads. Better work. Like, really? What does that mean? Better because I have more or well, I have less of it. You know, it's all just, um, it's all just madness. Wait, I just saw a text from Fielding Edlow, who I know you performed with. Last night? No, I, I have performed with her, but I saw her last night. I love her. She was in my show last night. That's so funny. So, oh, I, really? I, so I, yeah, we, I feel like we should talk about this off here. But <laughs> I had a storytelling show for two years, and it just oh. ended last night. And oh, shit. Yeah. That's I don't a feel, big deal. No, I'm... So ready for it. <laughs> well, look at the progress someone's made to uh, my immediate right. Well, <laughs> by the way, I didn't ask for you one of the questions that I had written up because you are mm-hmm. so fun to talk to. Oh, thank you. You really are. This is such a pleasure. I feel like we're kind of wrapping up. Right? I feel like that too, by the way. Oh my God, are you bored? Have you been like winning? No, not people? at all. Not okay. at all. But I, I have this inner clock. <laughs> I, I think because I, you know, I have my own podcast yeah. and I do it for an hour and I, it's just an inner clock. I feel like, and plus like I have a certain amount of like good, good, like I could probably go for a, a while longer, right? But, but I start to feel a little tired. Okay. Okay. Well, and I love your podcast. I love that you, I don't, I, I'm just starting it's good. I the, the oh, one thanks. that you sang all these like. Do you were doing like a Dean Martin imitation? Was I? <laughs> do you not remember what you said like yesterday? Are you one of those? Uh, uh, sometimes. Okay. Yeah, and 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 I love when people remind me yeah. because I'm like, hey, no, hey, make that's it. Funny. You're like, God, I'm funny. 
I'm like, yeah. I'm like, oh, good. I should use that again. Yeah. <laughs> Fielding was doing that to me yesterday. She goes, oh, man, when you were doing this, this. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you did this really funny thing where you were, I think it was mm. Dean Martin, where you were singing, but like about his like terrible values and, and how <laughs> everything, I can't remember now, but everything like, it's like in this very sing-songy way, like these awful things. It was <laughs> Um But I cannot tell you this. I'm not just saying this. This was the best podcast I've done so far. Oh, no way. Yeah. Well, I had a blast. Okay, I mean, I'm so glad. Yeah. I'm so glad I came to stop. Okay, so what do you think, you guys? That was pretty awesome. Do you feel like you need a nap? That, that's my question. Was that, was that uh, draining and yet totally exhilarating? Or was it none of those things? I hope you'll tell me. You can tweet at me, at Anna B. David. You can email me, Anna, at AnnaDavid.com. You can tell me on a Facebook page. There's an after-party group Facebook page, you know. Um, I just know that I really, really enjoyed speaking to Eddie Pepitone, and I hope you enjoyed our conversation and I look forward to us connecting next time.